And Father, we're just so reminded of how unworthy that we are. And as we said earlier, Lord, you haven't called us to do these impossible, ridiculous things. Lord, you've just called us to be faithful, to trust in you, to believe in you. And all of the ridiculous and impossible things are things that you have constantly done throughout creation, throughout history. We read in Scripture over and over and over again of all the impossible and amazing things that you have done. And Jesus, I pray today that you would help us to be men and women of faith that just believe in you, to trust in you and let you do what only you can do as God. And just help us to be faithful. Help us to be there. Help us to be willing. Help us to have open hearts and open minds and just the attitude of surrender to just give ourselves to you so that you can use us to do great and amazing things. Lord, your word says when the Holy Spirit comes upon us that we would do even greater things than you did. It's not a question of whether or not you want to use us. It's a question of whether or not we will surrender to allow it to happen. Father, as we come together, I pray that you would speak and work and move. Lord, that you would help us to empty ourselves out so that you can fill us. To get rid of the things of the world, to get rid of the things that we desire. And God, let you come in and satisfy. Jesus, we lift up Henry this morning and Pat and Helen and Pastor Dan Pastor Long and his wife and Lord I know there's people that we're forgetting but God we just ask that you would be with our people who aren't able to be here today touch them and work and move because we believe that you're a God who can be with them right now just as you are with us And as you fill us, you can fill them because you are able. God, you are more than able. Jesus, we love you today. And we thank you. And we ask all this in your precious and holy name. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, if you haven't noticed... I've kind of been avoiding everybody this morning, and I didn't participate in administering communion. I've had a little cold, feel fine, just still a little stuffy, and don't want to throw that on you guys. So, um, but we're in week two of our Jericho series, and today we're talking about changes with progress. Now, it's amazing at how many people want to advance. Like, we want better things, we want things to be better, we want life to be better. Um, how many of you would like for our country to be better? How many of you like for your job to be better? Relationships, friendships, health. All right, we are a people who are constantly 
looking to things getting better. The problem is, is that as things progress, change always comes with the things that progress. And we don't like that. And I have this, this quote, it's on the whiteboard in my office, and I've, it's been up there for five years. Um, as soon as I came in, uh, I put it up on the board. There were a few things I just wrote up there. And it says that progress always equals change, but change doesn't always equal progress. And so as people, as we're sitting here this morning, you know, it's really important to, to know and understand we shouldn't just change stuff to change it. Okay, there, there's a realization that changing things doesn't always make things better, does it? If we're not careful, we can just change stuff up, try it out, and it can actually be a lot worse, and then it's really hard to recover from that point on. But if progress happens, we need to understand that change always accompanies that, and as people, we don't like it. All right, let me give you some examples. Most of you as adults, at, when you were teenagers, how many of you could not wait until you graduated high school? Okay? How many of you couldn't wait to be out on your own, make your own decisions, have your own money? And how many of you have looked back over the years as adults and said, man, it'd be kind of nice to be a teenager again? All right. There are things that happen. Okay, And we also need to understand that in order for us to progress, then there are people around us that must digress in order for progress to happen. I'll give you another example. Some of you are sitting here today, maybe you're teenagers, maybe you're young adults, and you're super excited about graduating. You're super excited about getting married. You're super excited about having babies. Maybe some of you are at the age in life right now where you're just like, I'm ready to be a grandparent. But in order for things to progress, in order for you to get to where you want to be, there are other people in your life that have to digress in order for that to come along. How many of you over the years have had to say goodbye to loved ones along the way as they've passed? Maybe friendships have went their separate ways and, you know, jobs and stuff like that, and you stop hanging out with people. And there's all kinds of things that take place as life progresses. And there are good things that have happened in your life, but how many of you find yourself looking back and saying, man, I really miss that. I really wish I could go back to that. I really wish we could do that again. But in order for us to progress, many things must digress. Many things must change. We have to be aware of that. And it's no different when we serve the Lord. You know, so many people say... I would love to see revival. But how many of you would love to see things happen today in our time like we read about in Scripture? How many of you would love to see miracles? People raised from the dead? Maybe. That'd be pretty weird. There's all kinds of things that we would love to see as people. We would love to see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We would love to see all these amazing things. <clears throat> but you need to understand that with things like that as we progress, even with Christ, as we progress, things will change. And that is difficult because we as people are conditioned to not enjoy change. And so we understand it too. And there's so many people who come to this point in their life where they realize, I need to follow Christ. I need to give my heart and life to Him. I need to serve Him. I need to 
to abstain and stop doing these things. I need to start doing these things. But you know when you do, like, it's going to change everything, right? And so people start weighing out the cost, and they start saying, well, man, it's not worth it. I'm not ready for the change. I don't want the change. But you have to understand this morning, if you are a follower of Christ, you're in for a life of change. It's always going to change, and it should. It should change, because Christ should be working and moving in your life and changing you daily. There should be constant change in your life. You should constantly be growing. We should never get to a point, as long as we are drawing breath, where we are satisfied with where we are, because we are never, ever worthy to stand in the presence of God. But God is constantly preparing us for the day where we stand before Him in judgment. He's preparing us for that day. And that's why there has to be constant change, because as we live in the world, we have to be emptied out so that Christ can move in and fill us this process. And today we're looking about how the changes of the people of Israel as, as they cross the Jordan River and they move into the promised land and they begin the conquest of Jericho. This is the big thing, right? I mean, this is what they've all been waiting for. I mean, 400 years of prophecy with Abraham in, in Genesis 12 leading them to a promised land, the, the, the years of slavery in Egypt, the exodus, the 40 years wandering in the wilderness, everything has been culminating at this point of crossing the Jordan River and beginning to go into the promised land. And we need to be acutely aware this morning of the changes that come with God's will and God's plan because a lot of things change. Let's read this together. We're going to be jumping around today. We're going to start out in Joshua chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 14 through 17. And then we're going to jump to three other passages after this in the book of Joshua. Don't get discouraged. We're just looking at small parts. Go home over the week and read chapters 2 through 7 so you can get the full story because there's a lot of blanks. Okay, There's a lot of information I'm not getting into this morning that's very valuable that will help you understand what we're talking about. But let's read Joshua chapter 3, verses 14 through 17 before we move on. It says, So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan. And the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. And it was the harvest season, and the Jordan River was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the Ark touched the water at the river's edge... The water above that point began backing up at a, a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near Zarathon. And the water below that point flowed on to the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people of all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. Meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as the people passed by. And they waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed the Jordan on dry ground. And so point number one this morning, you need to understand there is a point of no return. We need to realize this in our lives. This is so important. There comes a time in your relationship with God where you have to realize there are certain times where you have to cross the line, the threshold, the river, the sea, whatever analogy you want to use. You've got to be willing to cross that and understand that's a point of no return. That once you go there, there's no going back. And the people of Israel who are crossing the Jordan River that day 
were acutely aware of this because they saw what happened when their own parents crossed the Red Sea and yet wanted to go back. So let's talk about this for a second. As soon as the people of Israel got out of Egypt, right? And they're standing at the Red Sea and the Egyptians are chasing behind them. What do they start doing? I want you can participate. They complain. They start complaining. We were led out here to die. We're going to die. Why couldn't we have just stayed in Egypt and been slaves? Right? Because all of a sudden the change was not exactly what they wanted. What was behind them looked better than what was there in the moment. And so God parts the Red Sea, ushers over a million people through the Red Sea on dry ground, swallows up the Egyptians, closes the sea back over them, basically shuts the door and says, there's no going back, you're here now. And then as soon as they get across the Red Sea and they see God do that amazing thing, what do they do? They complain. We're hungry and we have no food. And so God brings manna. And he says, this is getting old. We're tired of eating bread. So God sends quail. We're thirsty. We have nothing to drink. God sends water. And for 40 years, God ushers them through the wilderness with no food, no water, one pair of clothes, one pair of shoes, and sustains them for 40 years. All right? Because that's what God does. And yet the entire time they complain and they long to go back. But the people who are crossing the Jordan River learn this amazing, valuable lesson from their parents. Because they saw their parents complain and they saw what the Lord did to them. And when the people of Israel crossed the Red Sea, I think it was like just right under a two-week journey until they got to the Promised Land. They sent the 12 spies across to scout it out 40 years earlier. And the people come back with this report, oh, it's everything God said it was, but there's giants, and we can't do this. We're not, like, we can't conquer these people. We're like grasshoppers in their shadows, like locusts. And God punishes them and you need to think about this. Exactly what the people of Israel were terrified of, right? They said, we, we were led out here in the wilderness to die. We're going to die in the wilderness. Guess what they had to do? They had to die in the wilderness because that's what they were focused on. That's what their eyes and their hearts and their ears and everything about them was focused on. They just didn't want to die in the wilderness. But whenever they got to where God wanted them to go, they wanted to go back. And so God sends them on this 40-year journey, just wandering around until all of them pass away. And the children, who are now adults, who are crossing the Jordan River, <coughs> are acutely aware of what happens whenever they cross this river on dry ground that God opens up for them to pass through. And they understand there's no going back from this point. This is where God has wanted us to go. And God does this. I mean, like, and we have to be so ready to take advantage of these moments because God doesn't always part rivers and seas, does he? There's so many times in our life where we are struggling with making a decision, struggling with trying to figure out what's right, what does God want us to do, and we have to pray and we have to seek and we have to read and just live by faith and hopefully that God shows us which way to go. 
But there are times in our life where God just opens it up and makes it a clear way and says, this is for you. This is what I'm calling you to do. This is what I want you to do. We need to understand that when God opens up those doors and he clears those paths for us, those are points of no return. This is where he has called us to be. This is where he's created us to be. And for us to look back is rejecting the very God that we say that we believe and trust in. And so as the people of Israel are crossing over, they're not looking back. And it's exactly why God told them, he says, you select 12 men from among you, and they're going to haul their hind ends back down into the riverbed, and they're going to pull out 12 stones that are so heavy they have to carry them on their shoulders, and they're going to bring them out of the river back on the side of the promised land, and you're going to pile them up, and you're going to make a memorial there. Because what's going to happen is, is there might be a time in your life where you say, man, it'd be really nice to go back because fighting all these wars and these battles and doing all this stuff, this is a lot harder than what we thought it was going to be. And they're going to see that, that memorial. They're going to see those 12 stones and it's there to remind them of what God did and how God said, this is exactly where I want you to be. This is what I've called you to do. And not only that, but you're one day you're going to die and your children and their, and their children are going to see this. They're going to say, what are these stones here for? And it's going to remind them, this is what God did to bring us to this place. This is the thing that God had set up for us. This is who we are. This is our identity in God. And for us as believers, we have to understand there are times in our life where God calls us to cross these thresholds of situations and circumstances and relationships and things in our life where he says, this is where I want you to go. And he opens up the door and we're called to go. And there's an important aspect that we never look back. And there's something in us as human beings that we just, we want to look back. I mean, what did Lot's wife do when she left Sodom and Gomorrah? She looked back. There's, and God told her not to. There's something inside every one of us. I guarantee you, anybody in this room has sat back and said, man, I'd like to go back and do that again. I'd like to go back and experience that again. I wish so-and-so was still alive so I could see them or talk to them again. And as people, there's a... And, and I want to be careful... Because remembering things from the past and honoring people and honoring things, good things, like the 12 stones, you know, like you see the 12 stones and remembering what God did, that's a good, positive thing, and we should do that. But we have to be really careful not to let what we remember and what we're looking back to become sinful and, and idolatrous. Because we can look back to things and situations and relationships and people and, and stuff and, and times in our life so fondly that there's a desire for us to go back to that and we have to understand as Christians God has called us to move forward he's called us to go and one of the most fundamental things about being a believer in Christ is is that we're not only not looking back but we're also not even really supposed to be looking ahead at things of the world but we're looking beyond to the ultimate future for what God truly has for us that's going to last eternally. Everything about us as believers is called to look forward for what God has for us. And we have to be really careful because there's a temptation to look back. But also as believers, there's a temptation to look ahead about worldly things that we could have. But God calls us to look beyond those things to eternal things because that's what he has for us that's the true gift that lasts forever. And we're called to move beyond these moments and situations and circumstances to cross these thresholds into where God is calling us to be. 
we're never going to have an outpouring of God's Spirit. We're never going to have revival doing what we've always done. We're not. In order for us to move closer to Christ, in order for us to open up ourselves to allow the Holy Spirit to truly work and move in us personally, but also as a church, as a community, as a nation, things are going to have to change. Our attitudes, our hearts, our thoughts, our desires, everything about us will have to change. And we know that. And yet we cling to it rather than letting it go and letting the progress bring about the change that we dread so much. But anytime you follow the Lord, there will always be change. Because He's constantly moving you from this life to eternity. He's constantly changing you from the physical to the spiritual. Let's look at the second passage. Joshua chapter 5, verses 4 through 8. You're going to love this because you guys know I've read about this a lot, spoke on this a lot. But Joshua had to circumcise them because all the men who were old enough to fight in battle when they left Egypt had died in the wilderness. Those who left Egypt had all been circumcised, but none of those born after the Exodus during the years in the wilderness had been circumcised. Do not forget that the primary number one thing the people of Israel had to do to honor their covenant with the Lord at Mount Sinai was to circumcise their sons. That was the number one foremost thing. And the people of Israel who was always looking back and who were always complaining, they did not circumcise their children. Verse 6, the Israelites had traveled in the wilderness for 40 years until all the men who were old enough to fight in battle when they left Egypt had died. For they had disobeyed the Lord, and the Lord vowed that he would not let them enter the land he had sworn to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So Joshua circumcised their sons who had grown up to take their father's places, for they had not been circumcised on the way to the promised land. After all the males had been circumcised, they rested in the camp until they were healed. All right? So let's take into consideration what's just happened. The people of Israel were brought to the Jordan River. They sent out the spies. Spies come back, give positive report. They prepare themselves to cross the Jordan River. God stops the river, allows them to cross on dry ground. It's really important to understand that there were low spots in the river. The Jordan River is not a very big river. You can cross it on your own. You don't need God to do that. It's pretty amazing that God was just willing to do that, to say, I'm in this. This is where I want you to go. I'm opening up the path for you to do this. I'm making this as easy for you as I possibly can to make this transition. And as they get on the other side of the river, they don't go to Jericho immediately but they begin to make things right with God. So point number two, we are expected to make things right. There's a necessity in our lives as believers to repent of sin, to seek the Lord, to submit to Him, to 
answer the call for the things that he's calling us to do, to abstain from the things he's calling us to move away from, there's an expectation on every believer in this world to make things right with God. If you are a follower of God, you have to make things right with him. You can never dwell with him. You can never be filled with him as long as you are in opposition against him. You with me today? As soon as the people of Israel cross this river, there is something that needs to be resolved. And you think, oh man, it's like, that's kind of weird. I mean, like you think about poor Joshua. He's the only man who's left alive, who's circumcised, and yet still of the age of battle. He's the only one qualified to do the circumcising. And he has to circumcise all these men. And he's like, oh, how many men is that? You go back to Numbers chapter 26, verse 51. It's like 600,000 and change. And so 600,000 men, before they begin to take over the promised land and to receive the inheritance and the promise that God promised them, 600,000 men had to humble themselves unanimously to allow themselves to be circumcised, to have their flesh removed, to subject themselves to the pain so that they could be made right with God. And poor Joshua had to go through 600,000 men. Is it that big of a deal? It may not be a big deal to you. But if it's what God wants, it's a very big deal. Because you can't move past it. There are some of us in this room today that we have yet to submit ourselves to the simple things that God is asking us to do. Because we're like, I don't want the change that comes with it. I don't want the pain that comes with it. I don't want what it's going to cost me. And what we don't realize and understand that if we don't give in to God and pay the price of what it may cost us in that moment, we have no idea what the price is going to be later on down the road. And their parents paid the price. The one thing they were so scared of about dying in the wilderness was exactly what God subjected them to because they were unwilling to submit themselves and to have faith in their God to do the amazing things that He had already been doing for them. But we are expected to make things right. You want revival? You want an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You want God to work and move in you. You want God to use you to do amazing things. You got to make it right. You got to humble yourself. You got to repent of sin. You got to empty yourself out. You got to give up the things of the world. You have to pursue the things of Christ. There has to be an immense change in our life, in our attitude, in our hopes and dreams and desires to stop focusing on the world and to begin to focus on the things of the Christ. Third passage, Joshua 5, verses 10 through 12. It says, While the Israelites were camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, they celebrated Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the first month. The very next day they began to eat unleavened bread and roasted grain harvest from the land. No manna appeared on the day they first ate from the crops of the land, and it was never seen again. From that time on, the Israelites ate from the crops of Canaan. This is probably my favorite point of the sermon. It's so interesting. 
Because when you think about the manna, it was always meant to be temporary. It was never meant to be this permanent thing. In fact, it was only supposed to last a couple of weeks until they got to the promised land and their parents crossed over and took the town of Jericho or whatever they were supposed to do 40 years earlier. It only lasted 40 years because of the punishment, but even in the punishment, God still made provisions for them. No food, no water, one pair of clothes, one pair of shoes, and he sustained them for 40 years on this journey because that's what God can do. How amazing is it that God may call us to endure punishment and yet sustain us even in the midst of the punishment? That he, even in the midst of laying the wood on us and holding us accountable, he still loves us enough to care for us even during that time. Point number three, all good things should come to an end. Nothing in this world lasts forever. The good things are going to pass. The bad things, they're going to pass. Whatever it is that you're going through, it will pass. And there might be some of you in here this morning, it's like, no, what I have will be with me for the rest of my life. Well, the good thing is, as a believer in Christ, when you cease to be here, You will be with God, new heavens, new earth, new body, no suffering, no pain, no tears. All things that we know of in this world come to an end. And even the good things should come to an end. So yes, while there are things in our lives that we look back on, it it could be fond memories just with family, with friends, or whatever. It could be fond memories of spiritual things. But we need to understand that those things come to an end. Because the truth is, is that God is leading us to a place that is better than here. One of the biggest things that I struggle with as a young man (coughs) is a service that I got to experience at camp when I first got saved. And it was just an incredible, powerful moment where God's Spirit was so evident and present. And it was life-changing. And I spent so many years looking for that moment to be duplicated. And I struggled with, like, why can I feel this again? Why can I experience this again? Am I doing something wrong? Is there, is there something that I haven't made right? You know, it's like you just struggle through these moments where you have this amazing experience and yet you can't duplicate it because we don't have the power to duplicate the things of God. And the truth is, is that as you walk with Christ and as you grow, you begin to realize that there are some things in this life that are amazing and wonderful, but it's only meant for that moment in time. And it's not meant for anyone or anybody else. And it was for you, and it could be very personal. But what you have to realize is, is as you move through life, and as you continue to grow with the Lord, you have other experiences that are powerful, that are amazing, that God is working in, and moving and doing. And the cool thing is, is that you eventually begin to experience things that occur regularly. And you get to experience that in a regular way. 
And that will always be special. It will always be unique. But I can't live my life for Christ looking back to that moment saying, that was what it was all about. That was the pinnacle of everything Christ wanted me to, to realize and experience. Like, no, that was special. It was meant for a reason. It happened. It was powerful. It changed me. But that is not what God meant for my life to, to revolve around. My life revolves around Christ and my eyes and my heart is set on Him in seeking His things. And as time moves on, we will continue to experience the things of God, but in very different and powerful and unique ways. And so many believers, we look back to special times, special places, special experiences, and, and we long to go back to what we had and we're just totally missing the whole aspect of God, God always has something better. There is nothing in this life that we have ever experienced in the past that God can't outdo. There's no experience, no service, no feeling, no blessing. There's nothing in this life that we've experienced in the past that God cannot outdo in the future. And as believers, the whole concept, one of the most pivotal things that we do as believers is to look forward to eternal life with the understanding that no matter what happens here, everything there will be better. Fourth passage, Joshua 5, 13 to 14. And when Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with sword in hand. And Joshua went up to him and demanded, Are you friend or foe? Neither one, he replied. I am the commander of the Lord's army. Point number four, there's a new understanding of reality. That as you cross over those thresholds, and as you commit your life to Christ, as you embrace the change, as you set your hearts on Christ, as you make things right, you are leaving things behind, but there's also new understandings of reality that are taking place. And Joshua at this point was, he was one of the oldest men. I mean, he was the only man left from his generation that we read about. So he was older, but at the same time, there was still some growing to do, which is amazing. Like, I think that's so important to remember, no matter how old we are, no matter how long we've been saved, there's always growing to do. And it said that God, I think it's in chapter 2, whenever they get ready to cross the river, that God had um, made Joshua look like Moses. The people revered him as they revered Moses as they crossed the Jordan River. And so you can imagine Joshua's probably feeling pretty good about life right now. I mean, Moses was it. And yet now Joshua is like, people look at him like they looked at Moses. And that's got to feel really good. And he's confident. And they believe and the people are on board. I mean, 600,000 men just subjected themselves to, to physical mutilation in order to make things right with God. They're unified. They're powerful. They're ready. Fear has been instilled in the people of Jericho. And as Joshua comes up to this guy who he doesn't know who he is, he says, are you friend or are you foe? 
And Joshua sees things in black and white, yes and no. It's just like this, this, this thing, it's either this or that, when in reality there's something so much more going on. Because there's a new understanding of reality that needs to take place for Joshua. Because the commander of the Lord's army looks at him and says, I'm neither. I'm not for you. I'm not against you. I belong to God. And for us as believers, we, we really need to take a step back and, and think about the way that we approach God, the way that we pray, the way that we look to Him, and we say, God, why are you doing this? God, why would you let this happen? God, why can't you do this? Why can't you do that? And we look at God as if he's, he's the person that we can approach and say, why aren't you for me? Why are you against me? Like he's something like some pawn that we get to control or tug at in order to get what we want. But in reality, the commander of the Lord said, I'm not for you. I'm not against you. I'm for God. You need to make a decision in your life who you're for, who you're against. The decision is yours. God is not for us. God is not against us. God created us. God loves us. He's, he's had a plan for you since the creation of time. And make no mistake about it. You follow and you serve the Lord and He will use you and He will work in you and He will work through you. You go against Him, He will always oppose you. He will try to humble you. He will try to draw you back to Himself, but He will punish you. He is not for you or against you. He is God. You have to decide whether or not you're for or against Him. And Joshua's perception of reality had to change. It wasn't just this physical battle that was about to take place. There were spiritual things going on behind the scenes that he didn't even knew were there. He didn't even know it was there. And today, you and I are living in a world where everything looks physical, everything looks practical, everything looks realistic. When in reality, there's a spiritual war going on that most of the time we're not even aware of because we're not in tune with God enough to even consider it being there. Joshua... And the people of Israel were so aware of the mistake that their parents had made. And in a way, it helped them that when the time came for it to be their decision, that they were willing to cross that river. They were willing to go try to conquer a city that everyone thought was impossible. They were willing to subject themselves to circumcision, 600,000 men, unanimously. When have you ever gotten 10 people to agree on something? 600,000 people willing to do it. As the progress was happening, as God was leading them to where he wanted them to go, there was a lot of change that was taking place in their lives and around them and things being revealed to them. And as people who love Jesus and say that we're saved and say that we want to honor God and live for him and serve him and we want to see revival and we want to see all this stuff, we have to come to a point in our life where we just say, God, I don't know. I don't have an answer. I'm not smart enough to see it or realize it. I'm not capable to understand it. I don't know which way to go. I don't know which path to take. And we begin the process of just being humble and saying, God, lead me. God, guide me. 
Everything that we read about in Scripture, everything that Christ calls us to do, sometimes it doesn't sound fun, sometimes it's intimidating. Help me to get to the point where I'm willing to submit myself to you despite what I may or may not want to do. Help me to give my heart completely to you. Help me to be emptied out so that I can be completely filled with you. And the people of Israel in this moment, this is the beautiful thing, in this moment, they were doing that. They were ready to do that. But they had to spend 40 years wandering around in the wilderness learning from the mistakes of their parents to realize that when the time came for them to make the decision, we need to be ready to do this thing. And so I'm challenging you today, don't let your children and your grandchildren learn from your mistakes because you were unwilling to step out on faith and trust in God. But you set the example, and you make the decisions, and you embrace the change that comes along with the progress of growing with Christ, because that's exactly what we are called to do. Because the truth is, is most of the time, kids don't always learn the lessons of what not to do. Most of the time, they follow right in the footsteps of all the things that you shouldn't be doing. Those are usually the things that they do too. And so we have to start somewhere of humbling ourselves before the Lord and trusting in Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word, Your grace, and Your love, and Your mercy. And I pray, Father, that You would watch over us and guide us. Help us to cry out to You to surrender to you and allow you to do the great works in us that you've always wanted to do. Lord, you give us these passages because you want us to know what you've done before and that, God, you can do it again. Lord, anything that you've done in the past, you can duplicate. And anything that you've done in the past, you can outdo. God, we trust in you. Help us to truly believe. We love you and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.